From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Thinking about residents, in long-term care, the base rate of depression or depressive symptoms is about uh, anywhere from 22 to 33 percent pre-pandemic. Uh, and our most recent um, findings, uh, it's trending in about the 35 to 40 percent range. That includes people who meet criteria for major depression, but also perhaps who don't meet that threshold, Daniel, but have some disabling uh, daily symptoms as well. That's Dr. Bill Mansbach, CEO and founder of Mansbach Health Tools, LLC, and also CEO and president of CounterPoint Health Services, talking about the rise in mental health issues during the pandemic. We'll hear more from Bill in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. Join MGMA's Pathways Conference DX, June 7th and 8th, online. Our digital experience is built on three content areas vital to medical practice excellence, finance, operations, and data. Follow your path to excellence. Go to mgma.com events to register today. Breast cancer will impact one in eight women. The best way to decrease mortality in breast cancer is early detection. On-site women's health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house, giving the patients the ability to schedule a mammogram at the same time and location as their annual appointment. Partnering with OwnSight allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OwnSightWomen'sHealth.com. Our guest today is Dr. Bill Mansbach, CEO and founder of Mansbach Health Tools, LLC, and CEO and President of CounterPoint Health Services. Bill is here today to talk about mental health awareness, the rise in mental health issues, and he also provides tools to help test one's mental health and cognitive abilities. Bill, thanks so much for joining us again on the MGMA Insights Podcast. Great to be with you again, Daniel. Yeah, now... Just as a reminder, you're the CEO and founder of Mansbach Health Tools, LLC. You're also the CEO and president of CounterPoint Health Services. So just uh, give us an idea, give our listeners an idea of what the goals and mission are for those organizations. Well, sure. Uh, Thank you. So CounterPoint is a uh, healthcare company uh, in the mid-Atlantic. We specialize in geriatric, psychiatry, behavioral health, and memory care. And much of our work is in long-term care settings. So that would be nursing homes, senior living communities, and so forth. However, we do have clinics, memory clinics, and we do a lot of um, uh, outpatient work. And, and certainly we do a fair amount of telehealth, probably spurned on by uh, uh, the pandemic. Uh, Mansback Health Tools supports the BCAT Research Center, Daniel. So 
that's where we do a lot of applied research. People know us because of the cognitive tools that uh, providers use, like VCAT tools and specific interventions. Okay. I really appreciate that. Um, now, for our listeners who might remember, we had you on the show in March of 2020. In fact, I looked it up just to be absolutely sure. And it was the first week that we were in experiencing the quarantine, the lockdown, all of that that was going on. And we got you on here quickly because there were already reports going out about nursing homes, about some of those elder care facilities. We wanted to get you and uh, your expertise on here. So give us an idea. I mean, what's... Um, What's happened over these last two years and with the types of patients and facilities that you've been working with? What has that looked like? Where is it trending? Yeah, it's a great question, Daniel. So uh, at CounterPoint, we cover about 200 nursing homes and senior communities. So we have a front line, uh, uh, front row seat, really of what's going on there, both from the standpoint of patient care, but also, and um, I have to emphasize this, the stress level of staff, professional staff from all levels. So we're talking about primary care through all the consulting groups that are there. And I would also put in this category, stress levels of families. So, you know, we started um, looking at this, dealing with this pretty actively, as you say, when we talked two years ago, that hasn't changed. And during this period at our research center, we've been taking the pulse, kind of the, the stress temperature nationally. And, and that's not just in long-term care, that's in acute care and in ambulatory care too, across all settings. And in fact, we um, created, normed, validated, and then published the M5, the MOOD5, which is a, a stress scale, but it's also used a lot by professionals. I'm sure some of your audience uh, use it. Um, as a way of assessing anxiety symptoms and depression symptoms. And, and I think it just to distill the, the, the state of the state, Daniel, is that the M5 levels, the stress levels, are, are no lower than what they were uh, even in 2020. So uh, I think we're in a race here, um, hopefully not a race to the bottom, but just, just um, uh, tolerating the stress level um, and worrying about the staff turnover that I think everybody is concerned about. It, it's clearly there, a real thing. Yeah, we want to address that on some different levels here throughout this conversation. So I want to get some details from you, some uh, information on what you've seen then. So you've been working with uh, these different facilities. What has the uh, I don't know if I don't know if you want to go all the way back to March 2020, but what are you seeing there? Because I what I'm recalling from our earlier conversation is there was that quarantine situation initially, as we all re remember, and even you know family members were not able to visit because of the you know the fear of spreading. Uh, COVID-19 and, and have mm -hmm. that spread throughout one of these facilities. Um, and you and I were talking about the isolation, unfortunately, that many of these uh, residents were dealing with. Um, 
what have you been studying then? Let's look at it from that way. What have you been studying and what have you been observing uh, from the residents in these different facilities over these last two years? Well, the good news is that in most communities, most nursing homes, the restrictions on visitation is mostly lifted. So family members can come in and that's bi-directional. It relieves, I think, the sense of isolation and all kind of the negative symptoms that go with that for, for residents, but also for family members themselves and staff are fully engaged. So in that respect, it's much better than when we spoke, uh, I think two years ago. Uh, the, the lingering issues though that we see, uh, one, um, you know, we, we've lost a lot of people in this country to COVID-19. So it's the immediate effect of, of losing a million people, certainly many of them uh, older adults, but also um, all those family members. So, so those who have survived, which fortunately is most, still have in the front uh, or in the back of their minds worries about, well, uh, are we going to have more variants? Is this going to happen again? So it's kind of like Damocles soared over people's neck or waiting for the next uh, shoe to drop in some way. So clearly people are really worried about that. People are worried about uh, long hauling, particularly the uh, cognitive fog. We've been doing a lot of work in trying to understand why that's occurring, how long it will occur. And we, we get these questions uh, you know, quite often. And, and whereas one could not um, say that COVID-19 is the only contributor, but I think the base rate of anxiety and depression among these older adults, and even to some extent, Daniel, their families is in some ways higher now than what it was when we spoke two years ago. Uh, so, so that's, we're seeing that, we're measuring it uh, empirically in our centers, in our research center, and uh, have partnered with other communities throughout the country. So I think we can say fairly reliably that uh, whereas we've, we've really um, made a lot of progress with COVID-19, vaccines and testing and everything else, uh, we're really very much in the trenches battling the mood symptoms, which can be really disabling for people. Okay. Um, given that this is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I definitely, that's the reason when I reached out to you, I wanted to get you on the show before we got out of this month, so we could bring more awareness to mental health and mental health issues. Um, what is your research showing you as far as uh, how providers and patients are coping? I know you, you addressed it a little bit, but when you're sure. looking at that data and looking at the research, what are some of the things that are getting your attention that you're either, you're either nodding your head or shaking your head, you know, whatever kind of reaction you're having based on the data that you're seeing? I think there are three data points that are worth some conversation, Daniel. One is, uh, and I'll frame it as a question, uh, are symptoms of anxiety and depression uh, more prevalent among this geriatric population than they were pre-COVID uh, pre uh, pandemic? Secondly, what impact do we see on the staff who are charged with taking care of them? And then third, um, are there issues that we see uh, among family members? What do they report? What are they really uh, struggling with, uh, if anything? So thinking about residents in long-term care, the base rate of depression or depressive symptoms is about uh, anywhere from 22 to 33% pre-pandemic. Uh, and our most recent um, findings 
uh, it's trending in about the 35 to 40% range. That includes people who meet criteria for major depression, but also perhaps who don't meet that threshold, Daniel, but have some disabling uh, daily symptoms as well. That's mirrored with anxiety as well. So and anxiety is kind of the silent stalker, I think, around mood symptoms. We always talk about depression and you know, we do drives to try to uh, screen for depression, but let's not forget about anxiety. It's just as prevalent. So we're really thinking about a pretty substantial increase in base rates. So that's, that's number one. Uh, with respect to staff, the thing that, that stands out the most is the turnover rate. Mm -hmm. In long-term care, on average, you're in the 30s, if not 40s. And in some areas, turnover uh, is at the 50% level. And whereas turnover was always an issue in healthcare, in long-term care in particular, it's never been like it is now. So we need remedies for that. We can talk about one uh, that we've been uh, working on, uh, the 15 for Me program. I think with respect to families, we see um, kind of a tale of two cities. On one, on one end, we see people who are really relieved that centers are open, that there are activities, that things are kind of back to normal. But I think there's an anxiety uh, and, and it gets expressed in two ways. One is what will happen later. So that's sort of anxiety about the future. But the other, uh, and you see it in families of residents who are more long-term, long-term care residents, they note that there um, are more symptoms, both mood and cognitive symptoms, particularly memory-oriented symptoms, and their loved ones than, than what there were uh, before, and that can't be explained by progressive illness. So, uh, for example, we've done some focus groups looking at the question of um, brain fog associated with COVID-19, and not just having COVID-19, but living in a community where COVID-19 was prevalent. And what we found is that, indeed, it uh, reports are that it's higher. So family members are really concerned about that as well. Okay. You use that term brain fog, and I've read about that before, but I mean, logically, it seems like, of course, I, I can just kind of piece together what that is. But from a clinical standpoint, what do you mean by brain fog? Where is it just, I'm feeling some stress and I misplaced my keys to absolutely, I'm, I'm in a brain fog. So where, where do you move into that category? So, so the, the paradigm that I'm thinking about, so I, I come from the, uh, from the neuropsych world. So I, I, I think about it in this way. Um, and, and let me talk about it symptomatically in, in pretty basic terms. I think people who have brain fog report that they can't attend and focus. Their concentration is really limited. We measure that something called working memory. How long can you kind of hold something in your head to learn something new or execute a task or something of that sort. So attention is, is important. Um, primary memory, uh, just the idea of uh, you read something, you talk to someone, being able to hold on to it. People report that they're having some difficulty doing that. Um, the third is in terms of executive functions, the kind of CEO of the brain organizing, sequencing, problem solving, that seems to be affected too. The other thing I'll say about brain fog is that invariably it's associated with a mood component and that's often anxiety, which makes it probably worse. So, you know, you, you, it's like the, it's like double jeopardy. You feel like you're not doing well and now you're worrying about not doing well. So you're doing worse. Right, right. 
you had mentioned uh, a couple of tools earlier. Right. Um, tell us more about those. Give us some insights on them and how we can access them as well. Sure. So um, there are tools that professionals use with their patients uh, that are um, part of the BCAT test system, and many people use them uh, across the country and in other countries. And anyone could Google the BCAT and learn about that. But I'd actually like to highlight some tools that, sure, professionals can use, but lay people can use. They're, they're often used as self-assessment tools. They're free. They have very good science. Um, and, and I'll talk about two and how you get to both of them. Maybe I'll start with how you get to both of them. It's just uh, www.enrichvisits.com. It's a consumer-facing uh, website. Most of those tools are for helping people manage cognition and mood that are largely free. Uh, they're kind of in the area of, of brain health, but very much um, uh, validated by science. That's, that's an important part of all this. So, so the two tools themselves, the, the tool for assessing anxiety, possibly depression, and certainly stress is something called the M5 or Mood 5. If you go to the Enrich website, and just go to the banner, you can click on that. That's an interactive tool. You actually get a, um, a report, which can be emailed to a physician or a family member with some suggestions. It's not diagnostic, Daniel. It's just a, a self-assessment, but um, it has very good science behind it. It was initially validated for uh, people 50 and older, but it's really used very much by healthcare providers now to get a sense of how are they doing. So that's called the M5 or the MOOD5. Well, the second tool- Bill, let, let, Bill, let yeah. me ask you real, sorry about that. I wanna sure. just ask you, what's the time commitment? If you jump into enrichvisits.com and you look at that assessment, what, how long would it take you to, to get through that? Less than one minute. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to emphasize, it's not, uh, you don't walk away with a diagnosis. You walk away with an indication. Uh, it just so happens that it's, it's quite, uh, it's quite accurate. So no cost, uh, less than one minute. You can do it online. You can do it from your phone. Uh, you can do it from any device and, and you can use it as a process uh, measure in that you can do it as many times as you want. And, and one, uh, one fact that I will share uh, with the audience, what we know uh, from longitudinal, and by longitudinal studies, I'm really talking about studies of two years or less, that uh, the M5 is, is, is scaled on a zero to 10 scale, and the cut score is three. So when you get to three, four, you're beginning to show some, some symptoms. Um, cut scores above six uh, are, are more problematic. If a person has a score of six or higher for 90 days or three months or longer consistently, the likelihood of that person having either a depressive episode or what we call generalized anxiety disorder is over 90%. So one way of thinking about it is it's not a diagnostic tool, but it is a way of sort of framing risk. So um, I, think, I think people can use it uh, in a number of different ways. Am I stressed? Am I not? But if, if, you, if, it, if you maintain this level for a fairly high period of time, probably talking to somebody would be a good idea. Okay. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. And so then sure. there's another tool as well you wanted to discuss. Yeah. So 
Um, this started, uh, this tool was created initially before the pandemic, uh, and uh, it was created as a partnership with primary care uh, and with advocacy groups for um, Alzheimer's disease, actually. And it's called My MemCheck, My MemCheck. It's also on the same website, enrichvisits.com. It's also free. Uh, it probably takes two minutes to do. Uh, my MemCheck was created because uh, there is generally a two to four year gap between when people uh, become aware that they have certain cognitive symptoms before they actually talk to their doctors about it. And so um, the idea is try to get people into uh, more of an early detection, early um, uh, in a treatment phase, if that's, if that's actually indicated. So my MemCheck is a cognitive self-assessment. Anyone can do it. And, and if someone's having difficulty doing it cognitively, it can be assisted by someone else. Sometimes it's used in physician offices in the waiting room, um, particularly around uh, annual wellness visits or just trying to know what's going on. Again, very good science. It was actually published initially, the development study in a primary care um, journal. Uh, one needn't be uh, in primary care to use. It's used, you know, it's used in dermatology. It's used in lots of different, you know, sort of environments. But again, it's another tool. And, and, and the reason why these tools are important, Daniel, in, in, my, in my judgment, is that we just see elevated um, rates of mood and cognitive symptoms. So whereas it's always important to screen, it seems to me it's even more important now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I wanted to follow up with you about that. So you had sent me some information earlier, and you've talked about some of this already. You said that depression and anxiety levels among adults of all ages are higher than pre-pandemic levels. As you had mentioned earlier, the estimates are they could be even 10 to 15% higher. They could be in some mm -hmm. cases. Um, so you're saying that the importance of screening patients is key. You mentioned a note to me here that one does not need to be a psych provider for this. So go into that a little bit more detail and how uh, other specialties can uh, help in this, uh, you know, mental health awareness as well for their patients. Right. So when people present to your office, uh, it doesn't matter what area of medicine you're in, they bring their whole selves. So in, in our view, particularly if you have people who are 50 and older, um, being in that category, uh, you know, obviously there's a difference between being 50 and being, you know, 100. But, but generally speaking, um, we see cognition actually as a vital sign. Uh, it's not traditionally thought as a, as a vital sign, but the way I really think about it, the way we think about it in, in this kind of um, uh, geriatric research is that um, cognition is so vital to everyday functioning. Everybody wants to be able to live as independently as possible for as long as possible, yet we don't really measure it very reliably. There are a lot of screening tools that are out there that are just not very good. We actually did at our center, uh, Daniel, we did a, a study that was funded by CMS. And one of the questions was, um, if, could, could a physician, could any healthcare provider uh, who is not using a, a standardized tool uh, can they detect uh, mild stage dementia from, let's say, mild cognitive impairment or pre-dementia syndrome? And whereas most professionals said that they could, less than 50% of them actually did when they were, when they were actually you know, um, uh, kind of put to the test. 
So we think that um, if you're in any area of medicine, you have a patient who comes through, particularly if you want them to take medication or follow through with appointments, having a screening tool for cognition and mood is really important. And if they can do it at home and, and email it into you, or bring it into you, it's just a data point in some ways that might be of some, some real value. Okay, okay. So there's a couple more questions I wanna ask you about this. And one of them is when we were corresponding earlier, you had mentioned something about having data on another program called 15 for me. And you said right. in our correspondence that it's designed to lower stress and mood symptoms. Um, Tell us more about that, because that's one I had not heard about previously. So 15 for me um, really evolved out of the pandemic, Daniel. So as we began to report uh, in 2020 and certainly uh, in 2021, these high levels of stress, and we began to report all the burnout and turnover, actually, uh, in all areas of medicine, the question was, okay, this is, this is frightening, but what are we going to do about it? So we, we set about uh, trying to create a program that was evidence-based that we could demonstrate could do a few things. It could reduce stress uh, empirically, could um, uh, reduce uh, turnover, which, was, which is and has been a tremendous problem, and three, uh, would um, confer uh, a more positive view from, from uh, our colleagues about their employers if they had this as a sort of a wellness program. So unlike a lot of wellness programs that aren't well used and aren't well researched, we, we, our team um, was able to create something called 15 for me. It takes about 15 minutes a day. You can do it from an app. Um, and it's based on the three C's of stress reduction, uh, cardio, cognitive, and centered breathing. Uh, each component is um, uh, evidence-based, so they've gone through protocols. And what we've been able to demonstrate is that we can reduce, uh, after four weeks of uh, doing the program, uh, 80 to 90% of all participants uh, reported a significant, subjectively so, sub significant reduction in their stress level. But if you look at the M5, which we actually used, turns out that a similar number of people had a significant, statistically significant improvement in their M5 scores after four weeks. Uh, and what was really striking to us was that um, uh, 80 to 85% of participants said that they felt better about their employment situation. Uh, so we followed up. We did a lot of other, you know, other queries about uh, turnover and so forth. So it turns out that program uh, does reduce stress, but it also reduces turnover. It's actually not available for anyone until um, actually the beginning of June. There will be a link for it on that same website that that enrichvisits.com. You can read about it now. But we're excited about it because I think we have a solution that's evidence based. Um, that's self-paced. You can do it whenever you want. Uh, I know that there are employers who are allowing their people, uh, their staff to do it at work for periods of time. You don't even have to do 15 minutes at one time. You can do five minutes at one time. But we're quite excited about um, this as a, as a solution that's really needed. That, that is some great information then. So uh, 
what are some final thoughts then? You've covered a lot of ground here about mental health awareness. Anything else you want to leave us with today? I think one thing that um, uh, your, your listeners will resonate with, uh, and that is uh, the stress that we experience uh, in healthcare uh, will not go away anytime soon. So we are, we are in a marathon, we're not in a sprint. And because of that, we really do need to think about uh, not only um, screening our patients, but sometimes screening ourselves. And we need to think about interventions that aren't always about medication. Medication is really important, but there are also some non-pharmacologic things that we can do, whether it's 15 for me or some other activity that people really enjoy. Uh, we really need to take this seriously. And I think in healthcare, we tend to just say, well, that's what our patients do and not what we do, but we are no different from our patients in this respect. All right. Well, Bill, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us again on the show, for sharing these insights with us. It's much needed uh, bringing this awareness and these tools. I am going to be putting uh, these different links and the tool names in our show episode notes for people to access and just click right on the link. But uh, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It was a pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Bill Mansbach, CEO and founder of Mansbach Health Tools, LLC, and CEO and president of CounterPoint Health Services. We also want to thank MGMA's DX Conference and OnSite Women's Health for sponsoring this week's show. Join MGMA's Pathways Conference DX June 7th and 8th online. Our digital experience is built on three content areas vital to medical practice excellence, finance, operations, and data. So follow your path to excellence. Go to mgma.com slash events to register today. Breast cancer will impact one in eight women. On-site women's health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house. Partnering with OnSite allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at onsitewomenshealth.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.